Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios today in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management and PMOs with our special guests. I also want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Uh, They are the home of the Purpose Driven PMO. As so many of us know, we struggle with PMOs and our average life cycle is only about two to four years. What we found at the PMO Squad is that we're lacking purpose in our PMOs. We now have a new service out there that helps you get focused and centered on purpose and gives you the longevity that you need to actually build long-term success with your PMO. So I just want to say hello again to everybody. It's been about a month since we did a show, uh, but we'll be back on to our regular schedule of the first and third Thursday of each month. We missed the last show here in February because we were, uh, I was attending the HMG CIO Summit here in Arizona. And that was a, an amazing uh, day-long event where CIOs, CTOs, and C-suite IT leaders gathered and had a great day uh, going through all things IT. So really appreciate HMG for putting that on. And also wanted to acknowledge a former guest of ours, Raul Encinas, was last night the featured presenter at our Sim Arizona chapter. And Raul discussed leading change in an agile world. And it was a a great presentation and did a great job. And just want to say thank you to Raul for doing that. A little bit about uh, what I've been up to as well. Uh, Over the past couple of months here, I was actually invited to come out to the Southwest Ontario PMI chapter in Canada in April to be their keynote speaker at their symposium. So I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you for that invitation. And then also Americo Pinto and the Global PMO Alliance has asked me and invited me to be a judge in this year's Global PMO Awards. So very excited about being able to participate in helping pick the number one PMO in the world. Uh, Very exciting. And last year, the winner was from China. Maybe this year we can take home that award here from the United States. We'll see. But I'm really focused about, uh, excited about the show today and really focused on hearing what our guests Jan Schiller and Kevin Jacobs have to say. And just want to thank them for coming on. Jan, if you want to give everybody an introduction to yourself, who you are and how uh, you're influencing the world that we live here in the project management community. Joe, Kevin, and And Karen, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. I'm so excited to contribute to such a successful program. Um, Joe, a a lightning bolt of career insight hit me in eighth grade English class, and I knew I wanted to be a project manager. I love to learn, and my wildly important goal is to leave the world a better place. And of course, I want to have fun doing that. So since then, I've been managing projects, um, thankfully delivering solutions on both the PMO and in the trenches project management customer side of the PMO fence. And I'm, I'm really um, lucky and fortunate to be working at a company called Berkshire Consulting, where we consider project management to be a passion and a lifestyle. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I know in eighth grade English class, I was looking at the cute girl to the left of me probably wasn't thinking project management. So to know that that's your passion so early on, I'm a little envious, I guess, of that. And, and great that you're able to know so early on in your life that that's was your passion and what you wanted to pursue. 
And Kevin Jacobs, thanks so much for being with us as well. And please introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, Janet, I'm impressed as well because I'm one of the many accidental project managers that that we see out in the industry. And when I started my first career in technology, I saw an opportunity for improvement. And so I started looking at how we could automate processes and make changes and very quickly found out I was in projects and project management. And I've been involved in the last 15 years in, in various different companies uh, with projects and project management and trying to find ways to make things more efficient. Well, thank you so much for being here. And, and both uh, Kevin, you and Jan are I hate to use the word experts, but because that's self-defined in my opinion, I guess, but you're both experts in the PMO field, right? You have experience and knowledge and insights in running a PMO. And I think for today's show, uh, that'll be our focus, right? We, we've had some shows on agile and some on leadership and some on project management, the future of PM. Uh, but today I'm very excited to have both of you on. Jan, I guess from your perspective and the consultant role, it's a bit of a different view then from being within an organization, how how is it that you define scope for a project office, right? I mean, because every organization is different. So how do you go about helping those organizations define what their office should look like? Well, Joe, it's a really collaborative approach, but um, a really simple technique that I've used to great success throughout my career is I bring on the matrix. Um, so working with, you know, the process of discovering your stakeholders, but once you found them, I basically create a table you know, imagine one with four columns. I have the first column is really all the scope elements that you need to consider when you're um, establishing and creating demand for a project office. And then the remaining three columns I usually use, you know, what's in scope, what's next on your scope statement, what's definitely out going forward. And then the rows are really all those scope elements. If you imagine the intersection of those cells, um, write something. It could be a simple X to indicate that the scope element is in or out or next, or it could be a little phrase that kind of clarifies, well, we're doing this first and this next. But I've really found that the power of this format is I can easily communicate and generate a shared understanding of what the services are that the PMO is going to do. Um, people love to see their stuff, whether it's in the in column or not. Um, really helping them see where they land in the overall project is especially powerful because it's great uh, foundation for managing expectations. And as you're having those conversations with the with the different stakeholders, do you find that it lines up quite a bit with what the PMO thought they would do or do you find a lot of surprises? A bit of surprises. And I think that's good. The whole goal of doing this exercise is to create a solid foundation at the beginning. And then, of course, as the PMO evolves, um, you know, as your PMO grows up to be what it's going to be, um, it helps, you know, manage those expectations going forward. It, it's great to get that feedback, especially early on, because you just have a much better chance for success in meeting expectations, in my opinion. And I think what's interesting and has been a, a theme through my career is that we don't have anything that's guiding us or centering us as PMO leaders, right? There's no PMO leadership certification as widely accepted. There's some out there, but not as, as broad and as accepted as the PMP is. So what we find is that project managers who are good get promoted into PMO leaders, but they're not given those leadership skills of how to run a department. Take the word office out because no other department in the company carries that office term with it. So, Jan, I like the tool you're mentioning because now it's for, forcing those leaders to think as leaders and outside their box of a project, which is structured with initiation, managing, executing, controlling. And it's taking them 
and giving them a leadership tool to, to guide their PMO. And, and Kevin, as an organizational leader of a PMO, a slightly different view than a consulting view, how do you do that, right? How are the tools to lead for you and some of the tools you might use to lead for you? And how do you measure success from an organizational perspective? Well, and I like the, the conversation Jan had with those stakeholders, because I think that those are the people you really need to work with. Um, you had Mark and Don on the show back in January, and they really talked about the importance of bringing the business needs into that. And I think that's the real key is that when you start a PMO, you're not starting in a vacuum and you're not starting the PMO. Some stakeholder, some leader has said, we have a problem. We have something that we want to solve. And I think that a PMO is going to help us do that. And that's an investment. PMOs are not cheap. We're putting people to help us organize what we do. And it's usually because they want to put some structure around the projects. These poor project managers are going out there and trying to reinvent the wheel every time. They want to know what people are doing. They want to have better understanding. But you don't know exactly what they're looking for until you have that conversation. And I like Jan's idea of the matrix and having structure that says, here's some of the things that we could do. What is it that you want to do? But And not just starting a PMO, but as I lead a PMO, there's frequent conversations with our, with our stakeholders to say, you know, what are we doing? What are you looking for? Are we meeting your expectations or are there areas that you want? And besides giving the project managers the structure they need, one of the biggest things they're looking for is how do you give our project managers the tools they need to be to be successful? And that's one of the things that we're constantly looking for is that how do we give management what they need with the, the visibility of what projects are coming, what, what's going on, and how do I do that in a way that I'm not taking a lot of time away from project managers, I'm giving them the tools to, to manage their projects successfully. It's, it's, so you've hit on a couple of critical success factors there, right? Both a, an up success factor and a down, right, for your team and then for leadership. And, and Jan, what did, in your experience, what are you seeing from a critical success factor standpoint, right? Well, I think that's a um, great point you made, Kevin, in terms of really getting to know what the customers are of the project management office. So, yes, there's definitely a sponsor and a stakeholder. Someone definitely wants the project management office. Without that, you know, you really, I think, would be experimenting with success as you move forward with your PMO. But I found that if you don't have your customers identified, there's, um, you won't be able to consult on their turf. For me, PMO services are going to consume the customers of the PMO. It's going to consume their time. And if we fail to recognize that and support them in that process, both for them directly as well as their management to help appreciate the the resource demand that especially initially in a project management office, um, to me, that's that's huge, just to really understand who's going to consume the services of the PMO once they're defined. And I think that's a really good point, that there's so many different customers, and every one of them have different needs and different perspectives. And what I find, right, is none of those needs are tied to a methodology. But what do we focus often uh, so frequently on as project management leaders? It's our methodology. So, Jan, I mean, what, how about you, right? As a consultant, do you see PMO leaders saying, I've got to put in my waterfall framework or my agile framework, whereas an executive might be saying, help me deliver strategy? Right. And, and that's where you can get a holistic view of what your PMO needs to do. I totally agree with you there. So how do we overcome that, right? How do we... so? 
that's why I love this show is we're a, a voice and a platform to our industry to help those out there that, that are seeking some guidance. How, what is our wisdom to share with them as to how to overcome that challenge of having a PM mindset in a department leadership mind that you're connected to a strategy and executives above you? I think that goes towards the communication plan, um, you know, having kind of like a roadshow that helps ex- explains the different needs that the PMO needs to meet. Um, one of the ways that I've overcome some of these challenges, especially when some of the needs are urgent, but maybe not necessarily the most important things to do, you know, how you have to marry like what they think they need immediately. I think there's some points where you need to actually address the less important but more urgent need in order to demonstrate that value. So if the executives are challenging you to do something immediately, and usually I find those to be more of a uh, either portfolio management or information type of requirement needs, helping them make better decisions about what to do and um, achieve the organizational goals and strategy um, relative to what we probably know is the underlying issues. So I'm getting bad status reports because no one's work planning. Well, sometimes we need to focus on that immediate need about getting them the status reports in order to get the breathing space to actually address the underlying cause. Yeah, I, I love that thinking. And, and Kevin, I know from what you had just mentioned a few moments ago, right, there's this connection to strategy, right? And to me, project management is a delivery arm of the strategy of the organization. Why is that so important to get the PMO in sync with company strategy and, and how do you do that? So it's interesting as we have conversations with strategy because there is always a lot more to do than we have resources to do it. And we've seen roadmaps in the past where everybody writes out, here are all the things that I need to do. And they'll put together a, a timeline of here's where we're gonna do it. And those can be really frustrating sometimes because the way you update your roadmap each year is you just change the year on when the project's going to get done and you're all up to date. You're good because we're not being realistic about what we actually can accomplish. And as, as we talk about, it's really interesting as we talk about strategy is that if you talk about a project and your deliverables and your tasks, you can take that same concept and move it up to a program and your projects and your deliverables or to a portfolio or to a strategy And PMOs own this change in project management. We bring a framework to something that's never been done before. And so as as we come in and look at the strategy, we can sit down and say, how do I organize these projects into programs, into strategic areas? How do I get realistic about just some high-level expectations of what resources we actually need and what resources we have? And let's very quickly get realistic about the fact we can't do this. There's no way that you can deliver this roadmap that you've put forward, let's have a good conversation about what we really can deliver and commit to our customers. And that brings a lot more trust from customers because when you're going out and telling people every year, here's what we're going to do, and it looks the same every year, you lose trust from your customers very quickly. Yeah, and I I always go back to why does this PMO exist, right? What's the purpose of this particular PMO? Because every organization is different. In some organizations, they may want you just to go in there and be a, a governance function or an auditing function, a compliance function. Others could be more focused on delivery and strategy. And I think, Jan, that goes back to your discussion at the beginning of this on scope, right? How you're, Can you dig into that matrix a little bit more and help us visualize and, and look at the detail of what that scoping exercise might be like? Because I think nothing else works 
unless we've got that why, that scope truly defined as to why my organization is going to be there. Certainly. And um, Joe, if your listeners are interested in an actual sample, I do have it on my LinkedIn profile. It's a very simple abbreviated form, but it can give a more concrete example than you know what I'm able to convey without the visuals on radio. Um, some of the things that you want to address in your scope for a PMO are basically the general services that you're going to deliver. If you think about the literature and the conversations out there in terms of what's the main business objective of your PMO? Are you going to support your customers? Are you going to govern your customers? Are you actually going to deliver the project managers for these projects that deliver the strategy? Um, It's really important to discuss all of those. Of course, there's um, PMI's nine knowledge areas. Are you going to be doing the financial management For the PMO, are you aggregating everybody else's information? Are you checking their information? Are you actually doing the variance analysis or training people on how to do variance analysis for your projects so that you can get good financial and schedule information? There's metrics that your executives or other customers might be interested in. What are those? What will you deliver first? What are they most interested in? What are they interested but can wait? What types of processes? Obviously, I think application support should be out of it, general level maintenance and service level agreements. But sometimes it's helpful to clarify those things that are perhaps obvious to us. Application support is not a project. It might not be obvious to your your stakeholders. There could be someone looking for it, and it's important to clarify that it's probably not something a PMO would do. Are you going to do what-if analysis? Are you doing any special projects? Like I mentioned before, are you doing direct management of projects or not? And um, a lot of human resource considerations come into play. You know, will the project office be doing informal support um, to grow the project management capabilities like mentoring? Or is there an expectation that you might be doing some training, formal training, and who will provide that? Are you developing a curriculum that will, you know, be implemented in the organization so I hope that gives you some ideas. I have a, a huge laundry list of things I go through with my my stakeholders to kind of get them thinking about how they envision success with the PMO, but that's generally where I start. Well, and, and as we start going through that list, Jen, I think that people sometimes underestimate all of the different pieces that a PMO can provide. And, and, and you going through that list helps people to start thinking about, you know, hey, I want a PMO and my projects are going to be better. There's a lot to this and there's a lot to think about. Joe, you mentioned, you know, what are the different services we're going to provide? A lot of times that depends on where is the business in its maturity? You know, how, where are those project managers at? How much do you have in place? Gartner, a lot of times can help to see, you know, where are we at? There's a lot of times when we're doing this that we're thinking about that governance and the reporting and we're not getting into some of the more advanced topics like benefits measurement and, and some of the, those are items that can be really valuable to companies. And I also, you know, one of the challenges I think we've put upon ourselves is we're the, we're the PMO, which means that everybody gets to define what that is. Is it the project management office, the portfolio management office, the program management office? It's undefined. Whereas there's an accounting department, a human resources department, a legal department. Those are all clearly defined. And I love the tool that Jan was referencing and Kevin, your discussion as well, because it's it's attaching an explanation to the words. It's helping the, everybody in the organization rally around what the definition is for their PMO. Right? I wish we were just the 
project management department or the portfolio management department because that would help everyone in the organization better align and rally around what we're actually doing. But actually, when you think about that, that we think of projects as something as unique, I think there is a definition that kind of covers everything. And we are the, the change department. We are the growth department that if you want to make your organization better, if you want to change to, to keep up, and we know that organizations have to change to survive, what the PMO should own, and I don't know that we always do it well, is how do I put in changes into this organization that's going to make them more successful? And Laura Bernard, another former guest we had on the show, right? She refers to projects as investments. So rather than being project managers, she likes to say we're investment managers because we're right giving a strategy and a check to go perform and deliver just as an investment would with a return on investment. We use that term to capture return on investment. We don't say return on project. So there's a lot of schools of thought about this, which makes us think, right, and helps us grow and, and gets us to ultimately hopefully success, right? So, Kevin, how do you define success, right? You're in an organization. How do you know if you're being successful? Well, and and I think that, you know, as we look at scope and, and we look at the business objectives as you're, you're starting a project that you have that conversation and there's a couple pieces as a, as a project manager that you have at the beginning of a project. And I think that success falls into that from a PMO as well to say, where does this project fall into the overall business strategy? Am I part of an overall program? You know, what part am I in that program when I'm implementing a, an individual project? And I think as a PMO, we have to ask that as well, because as we're looking at this, success is really defined by the stakeholders we have, what they're looking for, and are we delivering it? And I find that there's times where I think that what I need to have as my top priority is one thing. And when I go talk to my stakeholders, it's totally something different. And that communication jam was talking about of having a clear communication, are we all on the same page, really helps. So we talk about strategy. As a PMO, I have an overall strategy of what areas I want to deliver on. I have a, a list of projects that we want to accomplish this year. And I'm reviewing that with my stakeholders. So they're saying, yes, this is the right priority. Yes, this is what we want. Or no, here's the direction I want you to change. When we have that clear definition of what I think and what you think, and we're all aligned, it's much easier to say at the end, this is what we were going to deliver. Here's what we delivered. We did it or not. Let me probe a little deeper on that and say, okay, so get that on board with that but also we're running a department which has people in it. And, you know, we had Belinda Goodrich on, who's a, a project management trainer, and I know you've done some training in your background as well. So we have growth of people. So when we're defining success, is it all just on did we deliver the projects that needed ROI or did we grow resources within our organization as well? And that's a great question because as we talk about projects and ROI, a lot of the deliverables we'll have from a PMO office may be a lot more touchy-feely. It's really hard to measure this benefit. When, I've got, when I'm training my project managers on getting their PMP or we're tra training them on Agile, it can be hard. One of the hardest things about project management is measuring success. When we sit down at the beginning of a project, we're going to do something nobody has done before. Maybe we're building a house and that makes it a little easier because we build lots of houses, but maybe we're putting in something new that nobody's done. So to measure how well did this project do against what we should have done is really hard. 
Mm-hmm. You know, how do I measure if that was successful or not? Well, I guess it would be take this much time and I guessed well. Well, did I guess well or did I deliver well? And so as we look a lot about these types of projects that we're doing as a PMO, a lot of these will be, I'm introducing Agile, I'm putting in training, I'm, you know, there's a business goal that I want to accomplish and here's the different elements to deliver that goal. And so when we talk about projects in the organization from an operations perspective that we will make operations this much faster, that's a lot easier to measure than I'm going to make my project managers more successful in their projects. And then when we get done, we all feel like they do a better job measuring their projects because the projects that they're doing are different sizes and it's hard to measure what they did last year compared to what they did this year. Yeah, that's great. And and I, uh, another way I, I've heard people measuring success or trying to figure out success is by looking at what failure looks like, right? Well, we know what it looks like when there's a train wreck. So if I don't have one of those, I must have been successful. And Jan, I, I think, again, we, we keep coming back to scope on this, right? It's, what happens when we don't define scope the way we need to, right? What, is, what does that look like to an organization? Um, usually not as good as with, with one, in, in my humble opinion, in a nutshell. Um, I totally agree with you. Um, if people can describe what they feel is what success looks like. And I think the most powerful question, I think, Kevin, you might be alluding to this, is just ask them. Imagine yourself the day after the project management is created or it's been in place for a year. How would you determine if it was successful or not? And you get a lot of great answers to that open-ended question. So with regards to scope, to me, it's the same for any project, not just a PMO type of project, but without scope, your costs are going to be unpredictable. Your estimates are not going to be accurate. Um, it's really hard to manage expectations because they'll be more ambiguous and sometimes conflicting. I think it's very hard to focus a team when the scope isn't defined because it's all kind of fuzzy. Um, responsibilities, um, I think it'll be hard to make them certain and help people understand who to contact. The result definitely is not going to be very distinct, and I would find it pretty hard to manage a schedule. Uh, I can't control changes or communicate even when changes are happening. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, this all the stats out there show us the average life cycle of a PMO is two to four years. And, and I have often wondered why. When you look at some of the data on that, you say, well, if an average project duration is six months to a year, you're getting about two cycles worth of time with executives before they say you either did it or you didn't. You don't have a lot of time as a PMO leader to prove your value to the organization. And that's why this discussion today is so important because as a PMO leader who maybe is having discussions already with a disgruntled executive, know that you probably don't have much time left to fix your current situation. So Kevin, right? I mean, how do you do that? How do you take an organization that's or a function, right? A PMO that's there, it's functioning, it's okay, it's not failing, but maybe it's not yet successful and executives are saying, we, we need more, we need you to be better. And I think that goes back to that conversation of, of what you're looking for. You know, what is it that we're failing on? How, how do we deliver on that? And I think that it's been interesting because, you know, all the different companies I've worked with where we've had, you know, these PMO functions, the director of that organization has always been aware of, hey, we have a short lifetime. We have to deliver quickly. We're always looking ahead. But on the other side, 
I've worked for organizations where they see a lot of value in the PMO. The value is is there. They're happy with the PMO. I, I don't feel like that, you know, there's a question of what are we going to, do we keep the PMO or not? There's a feeling that it's doing what we want it to do. So it, I'm with you. You know, I, I always look for that research of, you know, here's this average two to four years, but the companies I've worked with have PMOs that are lasting a long time, that are delivering value and then that are successful. But we are constantly looking. I think part of that success is delivered by we're having those conversations. We're defining what success looks like. And I think that if you can't define success, you don't know when you've delivered it. You don't know when you're finished. And what you've defined is different to everybody. So when you get done, you think you did a great job and half the people agree and half the people don't. You know, and this has got me thinking, right? We've been talking a lot about the organization, right? The PMO itself. But how about the leader, right? Jan, from your experience, the person that's running the PMO, what do they look like, right? How, what does, what are some of the characteristics and traits of, of that individual leader that we should be looking for and grooming and growing to help them be successful to lead a successful PMO? Thank you, Joe. We, I think we talked uh, about it together at the beginning of the show where it's to have the uh, credibility and experience of actually delivering a solution in a project management type of role. I think without that credibility, it's very difficult to actually relate and communicate to the stakeholders and customers of a PMO. Those interpersonal skills and a solid communication plan, you're really marketing the the PMO. You're creating demand for the services. You're helping people understand how they're valuable. And like uh, Kevin was alluding to, what are those metrics that describe success that they're looking for to make sure that the PMO has not only provided a way of capturing those, but then again, communicating on a really regular basis how they're doing against those metrics as you move forward. Uh, Leadership skills are definitely something that you need to have. Uh, You need to be able to direct your team. You need to be able to communicate with peers and upper management um, and being able to really know how to put a team together in a way that will be the most meaningful to the customers of the PMO is incredibly valuable. I mean, everyone talks about great teamwork, but if that team doesn't work well together and with the customers of the PMO, I think you'll be living a shorter life than the usual two to four years with the PMO. Well, and it's kind of interesting as well. It kind of depends on what your PMO is structured as. Joe, you mentioned sometimes, or I think Jan, you mentioned, you know, is the PMO going to be providing the project managers or are we supervising, you know, or providing structure over project managers that are reporting to somebody else? If your project managers report to somebody else, they are never going to love the PMO. The PMO is there to ask them to give them all this data, to give them all this information. They're asking for process. As a project manager, I want to go out and do a project. I don't want to do all this process and structure and plans that that you're giving me. And so I think that one of the things that you have to do to be successful from their perspective is a couple of things. One, you need to be working to minimize their work. And then, you know, so that they understand that if I'm asking for something, it's because leadership is asking for that and it's providing value. I'm not just asking for something to waste your time. Then the other thing is that I think it really helps if you love project management, if you see that value. I think that becomes just something people feel that, you know, you love what you do and and what we do is important and you feel throughout the organization it's important. And and I I think the other is being open to learning, right? So 
you know, hate to admit it, but the first PMO I ran, I did a horrible job, right? I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a, a great project manager and I had a lot of success and I was recognized and rewarded by giving me an opportunity to run the department, but nobody trained me on the skills to be a leader of a department. So I tried to run the organization like a project and it, it just went horrible, but it was a great experience for me to have uh, leaders who helped mentor me and guide me into how to run that better. And that's, again, this platform, having access to you, Jan, and, and you, Kevin, to have listeners here, hey, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Here's where I could focus better. Oh, Kevin, I, I love what you said about, um, you know, the perception of the project manager towards the project management office, I think is fairly universal. It's like, okay, what's next? <laughs> why do I have to do this? That element of education, you know, here's why we're trying to do this, um, I think is very relevant. And I think there's a point in which uh, supportive nature, um, how to make this easier for the person, take their perspective into consideration and think, well, what's the easiest, most seamless way I can get this information that I need from you in order to achieve these objectives is a better starting point sometimes than the governing kind of controlling approach where here's your checklist of deliverables you must produce while you're working on this project without that type of context or education or explanation or mentoring that really helps them apply and, and be better. Uh, I think the best value you can get from a project management office is that the customers are performing better. Well, and that relationship is really interesting. And I have a story that a, a while back that happened. I had two project managers come to me and they were right next to each other. So it was really interesting, but they both needed projects to be active tomorrow. So within 24 hours. And one of them came in and said, look, the CIO told me I need to go make this active. So I'm just going to make it active and I'm not going to go through the process. I'm not going to go through a proposal. We'll just make it active. And the other one came to us as the PMO and said, I need to make this active. What do I need to do to be successful? And we went out and got rough estimates of what they needed. Uh, we, we wrote a proposal so everybody understood what was going on. We did some analysis. We had a proposal meeting. Again, very, very quickly, we've got 24 hours to do this. But within 24 hours, we went through the full process. We, we moved everything along. When we finished that, the one who had gone through the proposal had all this input, was able to make adjustments, and went out, and the project was successful. The other one that had rushed it, the minute it came out on a report, they got a lot of feedback that, no, this isn't the right approach. They ended up taking it off the report doing another two weeks of work before they were ready to move forward. And so when project managers can come to you and say, I need to be successful, what do I need to do? When you have that trust and that relationship with them, you're, you're able to work together so that they know I'm not here to stop you from doing work. I'm here to make sure that you look good, that you're successful. I know what management wants from you. Let me make sure that we have that. And if there's some reason I'm coming to you, it's because you're missing something and nobody needs to know. We'll just fix it. And then you look good and everybody looks good and we're, we're ready to move forward. And, and I think like if overall organizational dynamics, there's an account payable clerk within the accounting department and they always know what their job is. And they're not saying, why am I following my accounts payable? Pro why, is, why is this accounts payable process not benefiting me in my role? But this dynamic between the project manager and the PMO is always there. It is, there's the opinion of what's the value add for this overhead or extra work or process or structure, whatever it may be, that's this friction, this dynamic. And as PMO leaders, we need to help those resources understand that Kevin, the story you just told was fantastic. 
here's the benefit to you and have that buy into the process, right? The sales coordinator knows their function to help the sales department achieve a goal following the rules of the sales department. We have this struggle, though, within the PMO. At the core of all of this, though, right, is where we've, we're talking project management. And before all of us were in the positions we were in, we were project managers. And, and I think it would help our audience to know where you where your roots were and where you started from to get to understand these discussions better. So Jan, what's your path to project manager, right? Sure. You started as in eighth grade and you had this passion and you went, but what is it like from there forward, right? What's that story look like? Um, like I mentioned, I work for um, a fortune 500 company as a software developer where my manager actually um, was great. He could um, mentor me and support me and saw the skills that I had. I did my first digital transformation project three years into my career. We affected the organization's core business. We completed it. It took seven phases over four years because we're actually messing around with their data in order to transform it. So lots and lots of quality assurance. In the first half of my career, I worked in this more brick and mortar type of organization and had the great opportunity within one business domain to satisfy a number of different roles. I think I've played just about every solution delivery type of role, um, you know, business analyst, systems analyst, architect, testing coordinator, release manager. And I've also had the pleasure of um, doing a lot of different types of projects within that one organization. So at the halfway point of my career, I decided I was going to make the leap into the entrepreneurial life. It took me about six months to get comfortable with that because it feels it felt so different. And once again, there was someone who was willing to spend the time with me to help me get familiar with what things look like from a consulting perspective. So once I got over my general, like, I wasn't quite sure, like, could I do exactly what I have been doing in terms of adding value in a corporation to other organizations? And thankfully, my very first one was assignment and was very, very positive. And I met fabulous people. I made it was great to learn again, you know, a different, completely different organization with completely different goals and objectives. And since then, I've been, like I mentioned before, I've been, even as a consultant have been able to work as a PMO leader, as well as, you know, in the trenches project management, but in a wide variety of industries with a wide variety of applications. I've worked in like learning management. I've worked in brewing. I've worked in life science research you know, so far out of my um, original comfortable business domain. So as much as I love the feeling of coming into my own and really being able to catch and deliver anything that came my way, I kind of expanded my skill set and capabilities um, in other industries and in other situations. It really helps keep me sharp. Well, and Jan, I love that story because it's such a you know an interesting journey and, and it's really neat from the consulting perspective. I think I'm jealous in that area that you get to work with a lot of different industries you mentioned the solution architect and the and the business architect or analyst role. And I think it's really interesting in project management that as project managers, we often wear both hats and they're very, very different hats. That business analyst of looking at what is the process and the solution architect, you know, what is the process? What is the problem? How am I going to solve it? It's kind of more of that art, creative, you know, understanding a system, systems thinking. And the project manager of what are all the different steps we have to do? How do I organize this work? You know, it's more of the accounting organization type of a thing. And so 
we often ask business analysts to be project managers or vice versa. And it's, it's like asking an accountant to paint a picture or an artist to, to do it, you know, an accounting spreadsheet. There's so different roles. And, and when we have the opportunity to split them, I think people very quickly find, I love that agile has that difference between the product owner and the scrum master that they more formalize, formally split that. But on the other side, as PMO managers, I think it really helps if you've worn both hats and are familiar with them. So you understand there's two pieces to this and, and they're very different in what roles they play. I'd Kevin, love it. that's such an insightful observation. I found that when I was the career path, when I first started at that um, Fortune 500 company was, um, you know, business analyst and then project manager. That was their career path. And I thought there was like an audible click in my brain that went on from going from that, you know, mile deep and inch wide business analyst to the, you know, mile, like inch deep and mile wide project manager role. Um, that was such a great observation. Thanks for sharing that. I want to go back to your project at the brewery and be a QA analyst. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> oh, what a role that would be, right? Every Even a manufacturing organization has back office functions, so I wasn't in the plants. <laughs> uh, although we got to you know definitely see what was going on. That, that wasn't the focus, unfortunately. Obviously, as, as Kevin said, right, what a great story to understand the path, Jan, you've traveled. And I don't think it's really that unique, though. I, I think project managers, by way of what Kevin mentioned earlier in, in the show, is everything we do is new. It's all unique. So we're used to being in multiple industries and in multiple roles, leading things that have never existed before, being pioneers of innovation and change. And as you do that, you then take on these additional leadership skills and traits and characteristics and find passions for what you want to do. And then the evolution into hopefully leadership positions, if that's what you, you want to pursue. And then Jan, you took that one step further, entrepreneurial, right? And leading and starting an organization. So I love that story. Thanks for sharing that with us. And, and Kevin, I know in your background, your, your story as well includes teaching, right? And PMP uh, certification training. And elaborate on your, your story a little bit too to help our listeners understand your perspectives. Well, and, and, and it's interesting because I, I don't talk a lot about my education, but um I've always been somebody that's pure, uh, curious and I've always felt like education was, was important. So when I finished my, my master's degree, I wanted something more, but I didn't want to be a professor. And so there was an online program for the a doctor of business administration. It's the DBA, just like an MBA, one step up. And I thought that sounded really interesting. And so, um, and it was something I could do while I was, I was working. I did it through Argosy and it was actually my step into project management. As a doctoral student, it's really overwhelming. What you have to do to get your doctoral degree is you have to add to the body of knowledge, which technically speaking means you have to discover something nobody has discovered before, and you have to publish that. And as a student, and I mean, it's even worse now than it was you know, 20 years ago when I did it, there's just this feeling that we know everything there is to know. What am I going to find that's new? So I went to my my advisor and said, you know, what should I look at? He said, you know, we see the study from the chaos report that 70% of projects have issues, that there's failures with so many projects, that would be a good area to understand. And that's kind of what got me into project management was, was a study. And it was really interesting because as I'm working at work, I see opportunities. When I did my dissertation, I did my dissertation on change in project management. And as a young, naive student, I thought that 
if a project had a few key items, they'd be successful. If we had a good sponsor, if we had enough resources, if we had enough money, that would be enough. We would be good. And what I found, which everybody on this call will understand is, is not news to them, is that for a project to be successful, there's so much more. We need to look at the human element of how we introduce the change to the organization. You know, we are changing the way you work. How do I do that effectively? We need to organize what is it that needs to be done. You know, and then we have to follow up on the delivery of that. So it was really interesting. And then I went through the same thing, very similar to Jan. I did project management. I did business analysis. I, I loved Solution Architect. It was my favorite role, honestly. When I went from the Solution Architect to the project manager, I felt like I, I'd done all this fun stuff with creating and solving the design, and now I had to do all the work of trying to organize it. So it was interesting when they came and asked me to do the PMO management. I kind of felt like, I was not the best at doing this. And now you want me to tell everybody else, are you guys just doing this because I need to work on it? But as I've gotten into it, I've realized that, you know, I'm going back to my roots and, and I really love what we do. I love the fact that, that we change the world. Uh, and it's interesting. You mentioned the PMP. The PMP is interesting because you, even at PMI events, you, you'll talk to people afterwards and they'll be like, you know, we all know about that PMP, but it really doesn't add any value. You know, people are just memorizing these formulas and, and being a PMP doesn't make you a good project manager. And there is some deep truth to that. You can memorize the formulas and not apply them and go past the test and not be a good project manager. What I used to tell people is that uh, one of my favorite formulas on this is the, the communication channels. It's N minus one divided by two, which is the number of communication channels in a group. And it is a formula I promise you will never use in your actual career. And I've only seen it in a paper once outside of the PMP. But the concept is, is that the bigger your team is, the more people there are and the more they're talking to each other and you don't hear that conversation. And you need to know that. You need to have your ear to the ground that if team members are starting to talk about things that they're not happy with, that they're not happy with the process, you need to watch for there's something going on. I need to pay attention to that. So the formula will never help, help you. But if you understand the importance of what communication play, uh, plays on a project, it can really help you. But the other thing that uh, I learned, and it was actually when I had my first student not pass the PMP the first time, and they'd had a lot of experience being a project coordinator, leading on the team, but not being the main project manager. And the reason why they failed is there was a lot of questions on the PMP that if this goes wrong, what do you do? And they didn't know how to answer that. And I realized that what the PMP really trains you to do is have a plan so that you know in advance when something goes wrong, I have a process. Step one, I do this. Step two, I do this. Step three, I do this. So that theoretically, if something goes wrong, and we know on projects never, nothing ever goes wrong. Of course not. But, you know, if it ever did, I don't have to panic. I can sit down and I just follow the plan. Step one, what is it? Step two, what's the impact? And I know what I'm doing and I'm ready to handle that. As I learned that, I realized, you know, this PMP really does have value and it helps me as I'm teaching my, my students on the PMP, what is it that I need to focus on so that they understand how to be better project managers? You know, and, and PMP and PMI, right, is, is kind of that, the guardrails of our industry helping us stay aligned to what we we do. And they introduced in this latest chapter of the PMBOK agile concepts and principles into project management. 
and, and both Jane and Kevin, for either one of you really jump in on this one, is we hit 50 years as PMI this year. And that's pretty immature as a profession. And we're, we're finding that there's growth in the way we can deliver. How has agile and traditional project management mixed? Is it oil and water? Or are they two things that can blend together well? How do we utilize them? What's, what's the way we should take those two tools and put them together? I don't know, Jan, if you want to jump in first on that. So the question is agile and project management together, oil and water? Yeah, and, and again, oh. <laughs> PMI, PMI bringing that together for us, right? Put it in PMBOK. I think everybody was asking for it, right? It's, it's, you know, how do we bring them together? How do we utilize those together? Well, um, to me, they're not oil and water. To me, it's just a different way of um, packaging up how you're getting from where you are to the solution and the expected result. So I've done um, a few agile transformations at some organizations, and um, I agree with Kevin that it's great that they kind of separated the you know the product owner role, um, facilitating the expectations and understanding what's needed and prioritizing it, and working very closely with the team. There's some very positive impacts that, from my perspective, kind of just build upon your basic project management, outcome management, and solution delivery practices. So maybe the role titles are differently, but I think someone on the team still has to have what Kevin just described as, here we are, here's the requirement, what do we need to do to deliver it? And the timeframes are just necessarily shorter to get to that minimal viable product. So you're still, you know, testing, you're still, de 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 excuse me, de developing and you're still, you know, releasing and coordinating everything. It's just on a, a different um, time frame uh, with a better, in my mind, team organization with everyone kind of co-located or working very closely together to improve collaboration. So to me, they kind of complement each other, even though the naming uh, of the team members might be different. Well, and it's interesting as we're introducing Agile because uh, there's people who are coming into it late that may not understand the concept still. I came into it later, and when I studied Agile, I felt bad that I hadn't gotten into it earlier. Because to me, and and it is, Agile is lean management for project management, and it was desperately needed. And as you talk to people, they'll be like, all right, well, we need to differentiate whether a project is Agile or not. You know, if, and they're thinking of iterative. So can I take something and deliver it iteratively? So if I'm doing a marketing campaign or I'm doing a software or custom development or reporting... I can deliver a piece of a report. I can deliver a piece of functionality or an improvement, and, and that makes sense. But when we're building a house or we're doing servers, that doesn't make sense. We don't, want to, we don't want to mix up this whole Agile concepts with it. And what I love about Agile is there's a number of different principles, and some of them work well on all of the projects. So when we talk about iterative, we don't build the house and deliver it one room at a time. They do it in third world countries, but for most of us, it just doesn't make sense. But when you take about a project and breaking it up into smaller pieces, we do that already. We call them deliverables. But deliverables are kind of fun because the deadlines, you like listen to the whoosh as they go by. We miss a deliverable. There's not a clear communication to the stakeholder. Oh, look, I missed this deliverable, you know. And so when we talk about having a stop every week to four weeks, and we're going to communicate to the stakeholders, here's what we committed to do in the last two weeks. Here is what we did. We delivered it or not. All of a sudden, there's a, a hard pressure. There's a hard deadline. And you see a lot of change in how that team works together that we are, we are going to deliver to the stakeholder a report in two weeks. 
and we need to have a good report to them of what's going on, what we did. And it really changes the dynamic throughout the project. The other thing I love about Agile is the way that it, it really makes project teams teams. Because I've seen too many projects where we don't have a team. We have a group of individuals that are working on a similar product, and they have a project manager who organizes them and keeps everything coordinated. So you do this, you do this, tell me about that, tell me about that. And when we bring together Agile and we say, look, we're going to sit everybody in a room and this is our project and we are going to find the solution and we are going to commit to what we can deliver and we are going to report to management what we did. It changes the dynamic. It's not easy. Team members all of a sudden are used to saying, what's my task and when do you need it by? And now they have to start thinking like a project manager and how do we deliver this? And so they, they all of a sudden are invested and they get excited and they get involved in the process. I still feel like we need that scrum master view and it, the traditional project manager that understands all the different pieces and can help guide the team is really important. But giving that to the team makes it a lot, it, it adds a lot of value to it. It gets people excited and it gets more out of them. And it just changes. I, I don't see any project where having frequent updates to management, having strong deadlines, having better team communication and commitments doesn't help. I don't care if you're iterative or not. I agree with you, Kevin. I think there's too much emphasis placed on, you know, agile or iterative or incremental, but those things that you just mentioned, I think are not unique to any one of those. It is just how you go about developing the best team to deliver the best results. I think agile is just a mindset. I completely agree with you that Scrum, it, like literally Scrum, isn't necessarily applicable to building a bridge or standing up a cloud stack, right? The minimum viable product is really the definitive distinction between I completed something in two weeks versus I completed something you can actually ship to a customer. But yeah, Agile, in, in terms of my mind, is um, just one of the many tools in you know your toolbox that can get you where you need to go. You can build a house in a week, but you need like what? 3,000 people. They had a video of that, um, you know, many years back about just the amount of resources you needed and um, what you needed to have in terms of supplies basically already there in order to move forward in that type of time frame. Yes, you can get a minimal viable product in a home that you can move into in a week, but is everyone ready to spend that kind of resources on it? Well, and, and as we talk about it, you know, the original Agile manifesto as, as everybody got together in 2001, it was a reaction to things that were too formal. They were too tightly that we have to follow this exact process. And unfortunately, we're seeing Scrum beside, become the same way. You hear people say, well, that's not really agile because you're, you know, you're not having these meetings or exactly this amount of time, or you're not doing this exact process. And I think that we need to get back to what are the core principles that are making us more effective? And Joe, you mentioned that the PMI put it into their next book. Yeah, kind of. The, the test didn't really change that much. I think there's a lot of, and, and they just put out a, they added another piece to it uh, that Mike Cohen helped write with it. And it's very, very light. It's very much, I don't know anything about Agile, you know, help me understand a little bit about it. I think there's a huge opportunity for PMI to get more involved in the space. I, I think that they need to think about how those principles fit together. I don't think they did it. There was one of your shows a little bit back had that challenge that, you know, as we talk about industries that, you know, 
Sears was such a big company and now they're going out of business. You know, that question of is, is PMI going to stay relevant, you know, 50 years from now or 30 years from now, I think how they handle agile and if they figure out how to implement those principles more effectively, it's going to speak a lot to how effective PMI is. Yeah. And, and Jane and Kevin, obviously, thank you both so much for being on the show today. I think this discussion has been fantastic. We've covered so much range from this agile discussion. And really, it's, it's about delivery. It's not about labels. And how we deliver most effectively is what's important for our customers. Defining that scope of what our PMO should do, the unique and diverse background that brought us to the path we're at where we can lead and help organizations be successful. This is the type of discussion that helps us, right? And, and PMI, I'm, I'm with you, right? They didn't jump into Agile, but at least they put their toe into the water. And for sometimes for that, you know, the 800-pound gorilla, it's good for them to look in a different direction. So room for growth there. But again, we're, we're, uh, we're still a baby as a profession, and I think the evolution is coming. I'm with you. We don't want the PMI and, and project management to be the, go the way of Blockbuster. We need to grow. We need to be diverse, and I think this conversation was fantastic, and I hope everybody benefited from it. I also want to remind everybody that, again, we are live the first and third Thursday each month at 11 a.m. here in Phoenix. Our next show will be back Thursday, March 7th with Danielle Kropp, who will be sharing her story of leading Amex through their Agile transformation, talking about Agile and talking about a extremely large company. Um, I, we've I've heard... Danielle talk at the Agile Up function here in Phoenix, and she has a great story to tell. So I hope everybody can tune in for that. And joining uh, Danielle will be Dana Brownlee, who leads an organization called Professionalism Matters. And they provide training and leadership within the project management community. And she has a book out that came out recently called Managing Up, Project Management Techniques from the Trenches. And I think that's going to be a great story that she can share as well. So, also a reminder for everybody, yes, we are live, but we do record these shows and we release them as podcasts. You can subscribe and catch all of the Project Management Office Hour podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, whatever your platform is, we're out on all of them. And again, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. We have some exciting news coming up in a month or so about some additional sponsors that are going to be joining us and we're excited about that. Uh, but with the PMO squad, the reality there that we're looking at is this discussion we talked about today with PMOs is centered on finding the purpose and having a higher cause for why we're going to deliver project management or delivery and execution within your organization. When you focus on purpose, you rally the troops to be able to empower people to go deliver projects. So check out the PMO squad and all we have to offer with that. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.